0: All experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. Trigger Warning Disclaimer Hazardous Conversations pushes rhetorical boundaries for acceptable political discourse. Listening to this program could have the uncomfortable side effect of provoking deep intellectual inquiry into foundational principles of liberty. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome to another episode of Hazardous Conversations. My name is Tyler Miller and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I hope I make it worth your time. So I don't know if I've shared this before with people. I don't really keep it a secret, um, but it is a part of who I am. I'm a recovering alcoholic. Uh, Thankfully, in fact, I just passed 12 years of sobriety. And one thing that you learn really, really quick And this is common amongst, I think, almost all addicts, or really people just dealing with anything, honestly. As long as the pain of where you're at is less than the pain of changing, you will never change. Thomas Jefferson hit that on the head when he wrote in the Declaration of Independence that all experience has shown mankind is more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to write them by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. And that's where we're at right now, folks. That is exactly where we are at. And here's the shock. This isn't new. This tension has always been the American experience. This tension of, can we still coexist Can we still be together? Now, the closest we ever came to saying, no, we can't, obviously, was a civil war in which we actually tried to say or a group of people tried to say, you know what? We can't do this anymore. We can't continue to live with you because you're trying to destroy the way we want to live. And, you know, you can go back and forth all you want to. And no matter what else you think about that conflict, about its origins, about why it came to a head, about all of the things that get wrapped up into it, what it really boils down to is Group A couldn't live with Group B anymore under the same rules, under the same conditions. Now, Group A would say that Group B, in that instance, is trying to change the rules, or trying to change the character of the way that we live, trying to change the character of the nation, and those are no longer the rules we agreed to. There's a lot of debate about what the nature of the Civil War was, and really what the cause was, and... Maybe I'll do another episode where I give my view on that. But regardless of what your view is on it, it does boil down to group A can't live with group B anymore. And the problem was that group B says, group A, you can't leave. You can't go your own way. Now, from a historical perspective, being on this side of it, We have the luxury to look back and say, thank goodness Lincoln kept the Union together. And from the perspective of the millions of people who owe their freedom to the fact that that war was fought and the 650,000 Americans died as we settled the issue of slavery in this country. None of what we say today should look back and say gee, that shouldn't have happened. But we do have the ability to use our intellect and to look at the arguments, look at some of the philosophy of the arguments that were happening at the time about why that conflict came to a head. And we can have rational discussion about the nature of the conflict without saying that the conflict itself shouldn't have happened or that the result of the conflict shouldn't have come about. At least we should be able to do that. We should be able to have that conversation. But every time you try to, the left especially wants to say, oh, well, you just want to bring slavery back. No, I have the ability to have a conversation about one thing that has nothing to do with the things that it's kind of sort of attached to. Why am I talking about this Getting back to the Jefferson quote and getting back to the idea that people would rather sit where they are as long as they perceive that where they're at is less painful than changing. And they will sit there forever. And Jefferson knew that. Jefferson articulated that. So then the question becomes, when does that change? When is that threshold change? When is that threshold of risk to reward, of pain in this circumstance to pain in that circumstance, when does that shift? When are you able to say, whatever I do, I can't stay where I'm at? And the real problem that I see is that we all have that in different places. We all have different, different thresholds of acceptance and different thresholds of action. And when it comes to the problems that we are facing, we are at different places of how we should respond to that. And so much of the division within or on the right side of the spectrum, so much of that division comes down to What should we do about the problems that we have? And then we argue amongst ourselves. We have arguments that, as we were talking about in the last episode, some of them are completely emotional. Some of them make really good points, but they're chicken and egg type of arguments of, well... We can't do anything until we have election integrity, but we can't have election integrity until we win some elections, which leads other people to say, elections are over, we can never win an election again, we've got to go to our next steps. We've got to elevate it. We've got to go Declaration-style. And we've got to abolish the government that uh, is infringing on our rights. Or we've got to restore the Constitution. All these things that are difficult to argue with. Because when you break them down, you have those arguments. No one's wrong, per se. But everyone's at different levels of acceptance and different thresholds of acceptance and action. There are still people who believe in elections. I'm one of those people, actually, because not all of our election problems are the same in every place. The places that have a massive election fraud going on are difficult places. One of the reasons my family left Washington State was because I don't believe you can have a free and fair election in that state anymore, and therefore that state is lost. For the time being, that state is lost. Does that mean that you absolutely stop participating? No, it doesn't. Because the way I look at the fraud that's going on, fraud has to be calculated, okay? They're doing their best to find ways to put in place automatic countermeasures to whatever numbers we could put up. So, you know, however many votes Republicans cast, they automatically find, you know, the number that they need. They haven't put that in place fully, though. That's why it takes days in these places to get results is because... In some of these places, we actually do turn out, and we actually do turn out in numbers that they're not anticipating or they weren't ready for, and so they need the extra time to monkey the numbers till they win. Now, please don't misunderstand me. At some point, they are going to have the rig so well done that none of our numbers could ever possibly outpace theirs. But even in those circumstances, I feel it's important to vote. Because while we may be at or past the threshold of acceptance that the elections are hopelessly flawed and rigged, so many people are not yet there. And it doesn't matter what we say. It doesn't, and and to a certain extent, it doesn't matter what we show them right now. Because right now, the evidence is harder to see. We see it very clearly because we've already accepted it. Any truth that you accept, once you accept it, you see the obviousness of it. Getting someone else to see it isn't always as easy. In 2020, we have that nice, beautiful blue line that just, you know, takes that 90 degree turn straight up middle of the night or 4 a.m. All those hundreds of thousands or millions of votes, the all of a sudden swing all toward Biden. Well, we need that more. We need them to react to our numbers in such a stylized way that it becomes so overt and so obvious that the people who still have their heads in the sand have to say, wait a second, over and over and over again? Really? Something's going on? Now, don't get me wrong. That is a a long-term, that is a, you know, you have to wait every election cycle to get those numbers, to get those turnarounds, to get the results that we can then show. So we're talking three, four, five election cycles to build the evidence, to get people on our side. But what's the alternative? Really, what's the alternative? Well, I'm asking this rhetorically because I know what some of you suggest the alternative is. What I'm saying is that if we assume that that alternative is not yet available to us because there's not enough people who support it, then we need to do something to turn the support in our favor. So while it may take four or five election cycles, you're not going to convince me that there's uh, enough of us out there right now that could go out and just turn this thing around. Now that brings me to another point. Now I asked this question or questions on my Facebook page. And thank you everyone who, who participated and have answered and continue to answer. Um, are we really as divided as is being portrayed a lot? And are those divisions reconcilable? Now, the reason I asked those questions was because it's it's really part of a deeper question that I'm mauling over in my head that I have been mulling over in my head for a long time now, which is essentially, what do we believe about the nature of the country and what do we believe the response, our fix for it, would really do? And, and what I what I mean by that is, well, let's put it this way. If you're in a, a group of 100 people and you're, you're split 50-50 on what you want to do about something all the time, you're split 50-50, split 50-50, is it productive for 48 of them, of that group, 48 people in that group? To basically take a do a hostile takeover of the rest of the group, and that's let's, let's, let's change the numbers a little bit. So you got a hundred people in the group, and you've got let's say there's there's ten people in that group who just they they don't participate. No matter what you do, they just don't participate. All right, so you've got a a forty yeah you got a forty and forty split or a forty five and forty five split, okay people who want to go one way 45 people want to go another way and those 10 people just always whatever they're not going to do anything now does it make sense and is it fair and just for one set of that 45 to essentially do a hostile takeover and force the other 45 actually the other 55 to do it their way now it does if 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 you're one of the 45 who believe that, well, not everyone on the other 45 really believes everything that the other 45 does. And, you know, I know that at least five of the 10 who never do anything actually agree with us, and but they just don't participate. Well, then you've just rationalized in your mind that you've got at least a 50% margin, right? If you've rationalized in your mind that that five, at least five of the 10 people who don't do anything actually do agree with you. Well, you've just put your numbers in your mind up to 50%. Uh, you're, you're now at 50 strong. Um, even though those five aren't going to actually help you take control, um, they're not going to mind that you do. And you've convinced yourself that there's at least some, so let's say let's say at least 10 of the other 45 Well, they actually kind of agree with you on on the important thing. So they're not going to mind that you take over. They're just not going to be vocal about it. If that's your mindset, then you totally justify doing the hostile takeover. But that's a really big assumption. And I think far too many of us on the right side of this political spectrum make that assumption. And that's why I asked that question or those questions on my Facebook page. I want to find out what people think about our divisions and whether or not they're reconcilable or not. Because if our divisions are real, okay, and and I'm not necessarily saying about polling data or you know what the mainstream media wants you to to believe or anything. I'm I'm looking at this more from a, a voter turnout. All right. That's let's, let's go off of the 2020. Let's make the assumption that. That they're right. It was, you know, 81 million people voted for Joe Biden and another 80 million voted for Donald Trump or somewhere, you know, those numbers, 80, an 80 million split. All right. If we make the assumption that that was reflected, that that, that split was reflected in the 2022 midterms, then if if we're that split, please tell me how. A solution that mirrors the declaration, mirrors our founding revolution, solves anything. I'm not talking about what it would, you know the, what the objectives would be. I understand the objectives. I understand wanting to restore the Constitution. I understand wanting to restore the rule of law. I understand the stated objectives. What I'm asking, what I want people to consider, is what does it actually produce? If the numbers are correct, what assumptions are we making about those numbers? Are we saying that it's a bunch of bunk, that we're not really that divided? Are we saying that, the, that all of the data is totally wrong, so we're, we're basically using wishful thinking do we have some sort of super secret mega data that we are sitting on that is telling us that it would work? And what does work mean? What does, what does the final outcome look like? I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure that everyone who is advocating for those methods is sure or has thought this through really in any meaningful way. Now, again, please don't misunderstand me. I am not saying that such measures at some point may not be necessary. What I'm saying is I don't understand where it ends up. What I'm saying is I don't understand what assumptions people are making who are advocating for such measures. For right now, anyway. To me, it seems that people are not making assumptions grounder than logic. They are making assumptions grounded in wishful thinking and, in some ways, desperation. So I think this is going to be a reoccurring subject for at least the next little while. Because to me, it really goes to the heart of what we decide to do and how we decide to move forward. And to that end, I am going to have a guest on our next episode I know I had said uh, my friend Dave McMullen was going to join us a couple episodes ago. He is the chair of the Pierce County Republican Party in Washington State. Uh, His life got a little busy, as life tends to do, so he will join us on a later cast. But in our next episode, I am happy to say that we will be joined by Julie Barrett of Conservative Ladies of Washington, now Conservative Ladies of America and the Woman-Splaining podcast. I'll make sure that the uh, links are available in the description for this episode, so you can go check her out before she guests on my show. I've been on her show a couple times now, and we're going to continue this discussion because I think that it goes to the fundamental nature of what we do going forward, and answering some of these questions, or at least entertaining them and thinking them through, is going to be critical for us to identify what the proper steps going forward are. So, with that, please like the show, share the show, recommend it to anyone and everyone that you know. Feel free to leave me a comment if you'd like to offer some feedback. And in everything, God be with you all in all that you do. And remember, keep the faith and keep up the fight.